You are listening to the Galena Missions Podcast, the preaching ministry of Galena Bible Church. Follow along as we study God's Word together. Ephesians chapter 4, we're going to be looking in verses 11 through 16, and uh, wrapping up this series on uh, the, the church body, what does it look like for us to be members of the body of Christ and the members of the church. Uh, and so we've looked at beliefs in our organization. Last week we took a look at uh, the nature of uh, being a disciplined disciple, uh, that uh, discipline is a part of discipleship. There's no kind of no way around it. Uh, and today we're going to take a look at you, your particular uh, role and how it all fits together. If you think back over your Christian journey, I know some of you didn't grow up in church, um, so your maybe your first encounter with uh, kind of church life came later. Um, you were maybe already uh, a young adult or a, an adult when you actually started to figure out, okay, what what is church and how do I uh, how do I kind of function in it? Uh, some of you uh, may have been like me. You uh, never remember a time not being in church. It was just uh, it was the expectation. You were going to have breakfast, you were going to have lunch, you were going to have dinner, and you were going to go to Sunday morning, Sunday night, and Wednesday night church. Uh, and that's just the way that it goes. As the old, uh, the old Christian joke goes, uh, I had a drug problem from very early age. I was drugged to church on Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night, sometimes on Thursday afternoons. Right? Like that's just the, that's the nature of how it goes. Um, but uh, probably also for you like me, um, your actual like understanding that church was more about just than what you were to be consuming. You know, you would go to the kids program or you'd go to the vacation Bible school, but actually some element of ownership of your responsibility within the church probably didn't happen until a little bit later. Um, I can remember distinctly for me, um, I you know when I moved out of Alaska in the mid '90s and moved to um, Louisiana, um, we bounced around in Louisiana for a little bit, and I landed in a in a uh, a church in Baton Rouge um, that was one of those you know you can look back over your spiritual. Uh, journey, and you can see kind of mile markers, significant points where uh, God had specific people uh, or specific influences in your Christian life that really changed the trajectory uh, of that. And one of those was um, by a, a, a pastor, the pastor there, Dr. Tommy Middleton. Um, he was the first, what a fancy term, he was the first uh, expository preacher that I, I can ever remember uh, hearing. Literally, he would open up God's Word, he would read God's Word, and then he would just explain what God's Word said. Rather than just, you know, these are the six points of ideas that I have as a Christian guy, and then I'm going to throw some maybe Bible verses around to prove my ideas. He just literally took God's Word and said, don't take it from me. Here is just the here's the the profound nature of God's word. And one of the things uh, that stuck out to me on that was also his love for evangelism. The man just absolutely loved to share the gospel of Jesus Christ, and he he had a um, uh, a very big push in the church, a uh, an evangelism program um, uh, that I uh, eventually learned to like just uh, cringe every time I think of programmatized evangelism, but it was, a, it was a ministry called Evangelism Explosion, and it was basically trying to teach people, how do you share the gospel? And it was basically two very simple questions that you would uh, initiate conversation with people. Uh, if, and it basically was, if you were to die tonight, uh, where would you go? That was the first question. Uh, and... Uh, you know, generally speaking, you ask somebody that question, there's very few people that are going to raise their hand and say, hell, right? Like that's, that's just not generally where anybody thinks they're going to go. Um, so then that leads into the second question, which was, you know, if you stand before the Lord and He asks, why should I let you into heaven? What would you say, right? And based upon how they answered those questions was basically they taught you and trained you how to walk through the, the plan of salvation. What does the gospel say about uh, our sin need and Jesus' grace and redemption and all those kind of things. Uh, and so as an eighth grader, 
I'm going through this. I was the youngest person in that thing, but because of the influence of this pastor, I was like, that's what I, you know, I know that I need to be a part of this. Uh, and so we would go do visitation. So if people came and visited the church, we would literally go and visit them and get to try to get to know them and try to walk through this thing. And then also we would do cold call evangelism, literally stopping, uh, walking down, like the whole Mormon thing, right? Stand and knock on people's doors and ask for an opportunity to share the gospel with them. And it was just, it was like, I'm an eighth grader, right? Like it's, panicky as as panicky can possibly be uh, and it was it was kind of in that moment that I realized like the, the gospel of Jesus Christ is profound and it's for everybody but this type of ministry is not me like man it was it was so incredibly clear to me I love sharing the gospel with people like that is a passion and I love teaching people in the nature of it but the gifting of just being somebody that just looks for every single opportunity that comes your way to share the gospel of Jesus Christ with somebody it was one of those where I was like I, that's, that's not me that's not, that's not my wiring and what happened after that was a, a, an unfortunate side effect in that I began to think of myself less because that was not my highest priority in the way in which I did ministry. Uh, the way in which I lived my Christian life. Because that was not the first thought on my mind as I stepped out the door into everyday life. I began to think of myself less um, because of that. I can remember attending a conference at one point in time early in my pastoral ministry uh, where a, there was a pastor, a very large church pastor from uh, New Orleans area uh, that got up and he was sharing and it was at an evangelism conference of so this nature again of the whole conference around was around the subject of sharing the gospel uh, and he made a big point to say that uh, if he did not lead one person to faith in Jesus that week he would not get up and preach. And so he's like, so there were some Saturday nights where I had to be like, oh, and so I'd go out in highways and byways and into parks and sharing the, and I was just going, okay, one, I don't think that's how that works, and two, like, that's not me, right? And so again, I would feel bad and I would feel uh, inadequate in my walk with Christ. What's wrong with me? Again, it wasn't that I didn't love sharing the gospel with people. It was this kind of uh, rigid evangelism, just engaging people the first time I meet them. Uh, Hi, my name's Chris. Where are you going when you go to, you know, are you going to heaven or hell kind of a response. Um, and again, uh, the, the microcosm of the Christian world in which I grew up in, I think, produced some unhealthiness in this. And it wasn't until I began really uh, myself working as a pastor through what is the body of Christ and how do we organize ourselves as the local church and what does membership look like and that kind of thing, where the passages of Scripture that uh, emphasize to me the role and responsibility that we individually have within the body of Christ and realizing that not every Everybody's the diff- that not everybody's the same. Uh, that unity does not equal uniformity, and God intends that to be a very, very good thing. So this morning, as we um, are going to take a look at this passage of scripture and look at you. You are the central focus of this. Jesus has done everything to bring you to this moment. The subject of the sermon today is you and me included in that, but us individually um, as we take a look at this passage of Scripture and ask the question, where do I fit in? Ephesians chapter 4, starting in verse 11, says this, And He gave some as apostles, and some as prophets, and some as evangelists, and some as pastors and teachers, for the equipping of the saints for the work of ministry, to the building up of the body of Christ, until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to a mature man, to the measure of the stature which belongs to the fullness of Christ. As a result, we are no longer to be children, tossed here and there by waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by the trickery of men and by craftiness in deceitful scheming. But by speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in all aspects into Him who is the head, even Christ from whom the whole body, being fitted and held together by what every joint supplies, according to the proper working of each individual part, causes the growth of the body for the building up 
of itself in love. This is the word of the Lord. Where do I fit in? When we think about the the overarching structure of church, um, again, most of the time, if I were to just ask the simple question uh, to the average bystander on the road, what is church? Uh, they would describe the building, they would describe the service, uh, they would describe the events, right? Uh, And although those things uh, embody the presence of the church, those things themselves, the Sunday morning service, the building, the uh, organizational structure, all of that, uh, that's actually not the church, right? The, The simple answer of the church is, the church is us. It's the redeemed of Christ. It is those that Jesus gave His life to purchase. And so when we ask the question, where do I fit in? We are asking a fundamental question that uh, Paul describes over and over. It's like, what part of the body am I? How do I fit in to all of this? Verse 11, I think, is a pretty interesting uh, uh, picture of the process that God has used to establish His church on the earth. If we take a look back about 2,000 years and we see Jesus' earthly ministry and Him gathering a bunch of knuckleheads, young uh, late teens, early 20-something knuckleheads together uh, and modeling out what it means to be in the kingdom of God, the, the, uh, the incredible transformation that the kingdom of God has when Jesus preached and He preached about the, the good news of the gospel, His first in fact, his first sermon was repent and believe the gospel. And we have to ask the question, what gospel was Jesus preaching when he was preaching that ministry? Because he hadn't died, he hadn't been buried, he hadn't been rose again. What was the, the good news that he was preaching? And the message that he was preaching was the gospel of the kingdom. Everything that he did was just ushering that in. He was wanting to show them this is a different way. This is how we live. And of course, they didn't get it the whole time that he was there with them. In fact, we even see evidence that even after he had ascended to heaven and uh, he had commissioned them out in, the, in Pentecost and all that kind of stuff, we still see them making boneheaded mistakes and still being knuckleheads because they still didn't get it. But from that point forward, we begin to see the local expressions of the body of Christ gathering together, congregating together, doing life together, fulfilling all of the one another's, being organized into structures, and we begin to see it grow like wildfire into the world. And we see that continuing all the way up until today. It's an incredible statistic uh, to think about, but on average, 50,000 people every single day profess faith in Jesus Christ. That's the, that's the uh, present statistic of the, the state of world missions. 50,000 people a day come to faith in Jesus. And it's, a, it's an incredibly remarkable thing. And to see how it is that God does that, uh, as He's laying out this obvious picture of the body of Christ, the church, and as we are to work together, obviously we work together as we are uh, expressed in local places, as what we would call the local church. But He gives these kind of um, four distinct roles that He used to establish the church. It says that He gave some as apostles... Some as prophets, some as evangelists, and some as pastors and teachers. The, the definition of the apostles um, were uh, two specific criterium. Uh, they needed to have uh, heard firsthand the words of Jesus, been taught by Jesus, uh, and been instructed in him uh, by him directly. That was a, a first uh, requirement of the apostles. The second of the apostles was that they had seen the resurrected Christ. So not only did they know the words of Christ, they knew the truth of his words by evidence of his resurrection. Now the apostles were not just the uh, eleven, so the twelve minus Judas, but Barnabas was was called an apostle, James was called an apostle, and Paul were called apostles. These were the sent out ones, the ones that were commissioned ultimately by the church to establish because they were the ones that had had first-hand knowledge of Jesus. Now as we stand today, of course, none of these individuals are still alive. In fact, of the eleven... 
uh, of Jesus' initial first 12 disciples, of those 11, minus Judas again, the only one of those that did not die a martyr's death was, anybody know? John. John was the only one. He was the one that died of old age after having been boiled in oil and exiled on Patmos and all kinds of other horrific things that he experienced. He was, he was the only one not martyred. And so as it stands today, we would probably say that there is nobody today that holds the office of apostle because they did not firsthand hear the message of Jesus and they uh, have not physically seen the resurrected Christ. And yet, everyone that is in the process of establishing the church as it exists in the world uh, both knows the words of Jesus and believes in the resurrection of Christ. Those two distinct things that, uh, that play in. But we would say as an office, the office of apostle no longer exists. Uh, it says that some were as prophets. This is a, a tie-in to the Old Testament prophets, but in the New Testament, as we read through books like um, uh, Corinthians and others, we see that there were individuals who uh, did a traveling ministry from church to church, uh, doing not foretelling, but forthtelling of the Word of God. In other words, they were ones that were uh, 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 preaching and teaching, thus says the Lord, from what He says. And if we do not do what God says, then there was going to be uh, an establishment of that. Uh, we, we see that there was admonitions to those individuals throughout uh, the, the, the Gospel books. Uh, but as we see them speaking into those and basically being traveling preachers and traveling uh, into uh, establishing areas... Uh, we began to see also a reaction to that because there was a tendency for individuals to go from place to place and preach, but not actually do anything beyond just the act of preaching. In fact, uh, one of the first early church documents that we have post the close of the New Testament uh, is a, uh, in English, it's just the, it's called the teaching, the, di- uh, how do you pronounce it, didache or di- didache, uh, and it's, it literally was just them trying to establish some organization, some rules, some structure of the church. And there were significant rules about this uh, type of a office taking place in the church because what was happening was uh, there were people who were being faithful that were just wanting to go in and preach uh, and, and trying to build this cohesive teaching across the, the nature of the church. But there were also individuals who were taking advantage of this and were using this basically as kind of a free ride. They'd go from this church and they'd preach there one time and then they'd stay for three or four weeks and just kind of mooch off the people and then they'd go to the next church and do the same thing. Uh, and they began to say, listen, don't, don't accept that. Don't do that. Uh, and press on from it. Third, we see what he describes as the evangelists. Those who were the, uh, the, the declarers of the good news, the bringers of the good news. Their ultimate role was not to preach in the sense, their ultimate goal was to be those that called people to faith in Jesus. And again, this ministry that existed there uh, in the early church was a, a mobile nature. These uh, individuals who worked as uh, evangelists did travel from place to place. We have one example of that, of Paul encouraging Timothy, where he tells him to go and do the work of an evangelist. Uh, and we know from Paul's uh, ministry with Timothy that Timothy did spend seasons in different places sharing the gospel and pastoring and basically working in a place to establish the church. If we were to look in our present day and look at the structure of the way in which we operate um, as the church and how we have operated pretty much for the last... Um, probably 1,300 years, when we look at the office or the function of an evangelist, it would be what we would classify as a present-day missionary. The individuals that go to where the gospel is not known, where there are people who do not know and love Jesus, and their primary goal is ultimately to share the message of Jesus, and from that to do even as Timothy did, to try to organize, congregate, help them be established. And then, of course, finally he says, and to some as pastors and teachers. And here we see a settling uh, of leadership that uh, was established by God, that there would be those who would have 
pastoral oversight, shepherding of the flocks that they would stay in with. And as we see this picture of elder, overseer, uh, pastor, as we've discussed in previous things, uh, we see them uh, not just pastoring generally, but pastoring their people. Paul's admonition to the, uh, the elders... Or sorry, Peter's admonition to the elders in 1 Peter was to shepherd the flock of God that is among you and to be encouraged in that. All ministry, as we think about ministry in general, we, as a church, we have to wrestle with what is ministry and how do we do ministry. Uh, and uh, I think it is very helpful for us to think that ministry, all ministry is on uh, uh, a continuum uh, that uh, falls somewhere between these two extremes. That a ministry either edifies the church where it exists, builds up, encourages, strengthens, empowers, teaches, instructs, grows the church where it exists. Or ministry starts the church where it doesn't. It goes into where Jesus is not known and leads people into a place where they can be edified as a church. That is ultimately the goal. The goal of... Uh, I, I've been pushed against a number of times over the years uh, because uh, when we talk about things like church planting, which is a, a deep desire of our church as we look at our region that doesn't have much by way of gospel-believing churches, churches that love Jesus above all things, uh, and it's not just rote uh, religious exercise, but actually a, a transformation of the gospel out of our own hearts, uh, we desire to see gospel-believing churches planted all over the place. We also know that... Uh, uh, as, as we've promoted that, um, I've had pushback over the years that say, well, Jesus never told us to plant churches. He just told us to make disciples. And I said, well, yes, that's true. But apparently the disciples interpreted that as go plant churches because that's what they did the whole rest of the New Testament, right? They went and made disciples and then congregated them into churches and established them as churches so that they would flourish in their lives. And so as we think of ministry, ultimately, all ministry at some point in time starts as starting the church where it exists, but ultimately leads to the place where we want to be at the place of edifying it, building it up, and encouraging it. And so one of the challenges for us, figuring out where do I fit in, is ultimately to ask the question, God, what is it that you have burdened? When I think of the church, where, where does my heart reside in that? When I, when I think of the church, is my first thought to think of my neighbor who doesn't know Jesus. If that's the case, then on that continuum, your heart is more leaning towards this nature of starting the church where it doesn't exist. That there's this passionate burning, burden in your life that says, yeah man, it's great that we've got kids program going on and I'm glad the church finances are working and you know, I'm glad the administration is functioning like that, but what about the lost, right? And if that's your burden, then there's this element of you that is saying, one, either I can edify the church where it exists by reminding it that there are people that still don't know Jesus, right? Or it may be that you ultimately, or that God is ultimately birthing something in you that says, you know what? You can't go start the church where it exists by living in a place where the church does. So at some point in time, you're going to have to uproot your life and move to this other place. Now, that doesn't mean that that's going to be everybody, right? But it is the prayer that it is going to be some. Likewise, though, it may also be that you're like, yeah, I do care about the lost and that kind of thing, but I also care about the kids in our church. And I also care about the, uh, the, the, the biblical instruction, the biblical literacy that's in the church. I, I do care that you know, like the, the food and hospitality of our church is functioning the way that it needs to and that teenagers are being engaged and loved and nurtured and discipled, right? And these kind of things that exist within the, the nature of the local church. The challenge is, if we're to be like, all right, I'm, you know, what? Yeah, there's, we need missionaries in these other kind of places and you go to that kind of place and, but your heart is built towards like this edifying the church where it exists you're just going to be really really frustrated in that other kind of place and so the reality of this is you're not less of a Christian wherever you find yourself on that continuum God has this entire process of bringing people to faith in Him and establishing His local church. And so the nature of it is figuring out, Lord, where is it that You have uh, put me in this? Where is it that You would want me to be? 
So it is good to know that ministry, uh, that all ministry finds itself somewhere on that continuum. And I, I do in, uh, make this statement. Um, we live in a world of the parachurch, uh, meaning there are ministry organizations that are good. They're good ministry organizations, but they are not church. And there is a distinction between those kind of things. Uh, there, historically, I know I'm making a, a bunch of side trails, but I think this is helpful um, uh, just to be able to know how did we get into the state in which we are. When you look at most parachurch organizations, um, so think things like uh, child or not child, uh, child evangelism fellowship, uh, youth for Christ, young life, campus crusade for Christ, Billy Graham Evangelistic Association, all of those organizations all started in about the same 20 year period from the 1940s to the 1950s. That's when all of those organizations started. And you ask, why? Why did that, why did that happen? Well, that was, that was kind of the height of a season in which the church felt like it was under attack from the world because of what was called higher criticism. The, the world was looking at Scripture and saying, trying to poke holes in it. They were trying to say, look, you can't really believe that this book is true. You can't really believe what this book says. And here's because of science and because of history and all these other kind of things. And so the church was feeling very threatened. And I, when I say the church, I'm saying just the church in general in the West was feeling threatened. So they began to stop doing the things that they had been doing for the last several hundred years in outreach and engagement and that kind of stuff. And they began to turn inward and say, no, 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 we're going to defend Scripture. We're going to learn Scripture. We're going to know Scripture. We're going to believe Scripture. We're going to... Scripture, Scripture, Scripture. And you have what was known as the rise of fundamentalism that happened in the midst of that that was very Scripture-focused, but not very lost people-focused. It, it, it lost the image of that. But there were still people that were like... But what about college students who don't know Jesus? What about teenagers that don't know Jesus? What about just people that live in communities that don't know Jesus? And so those individuals said, okay, if the church isn't going to do it, then we've got to do it. So they stepped out and they started Campus Crusade for Christ, Child Evangelism Fellowship, Young Life, all of these organizations because that message still needed to happen. And so the, the pendulum, as it swings, one of the things that I want us to just to be cautious of and I think is... Uh, is a help and a good reminder for us is that ministry fits in the context of the church. That's how Jesus intended everything to be played out. That's how we see the whole New Testament play out. And if we just think, well, we're just going to reach teenagers for Jesus, but we're never actually going to teach them what it means to be congregated into a fellowship, or we're going to reach college students, we're never going to teach them what it means to be together in that, we just want individual people to become, come to faith in Jesus, then we'll never be able to fulfill anything that Scripture says. And so, as we, as a church, partner with those kind of organizations, we do so under the umbrella of saying, yes, and how does that bring people together into the church? As a simple thing. So all ministry is on a continuum, and that's kind of the picture that we see of apostles and prophets, evangelists, and pastor teachers of those that don't know Jesus and have no perspective of that to those that do and are being grown up in that. Where do you fit into that? Uh, verse uh, 12 begins to help us understand how do I even figure that out? He says, all of these, apostle, prophet, evangelist, pastor, teacher, they are given for one specific purpose. For the equipping of the saints for the work of ministry. Now, depending on what translation that you have, uh, if, if you have a King James version of the Bible translation, in between... Um, Let's see, what is it? Uh, in between for the equipping of the saints and for the work of ministry, there's a key thing that's not in Greek. And it's a comma. And the reason for that was, the emphasis wanted to be that those individuals, the office holders, their, their job was to equip the saints and their job was to do the work of ministry. But that's not what actually the text says. The text says that their, those office holders, their job, their, the reason that God put the, those kind of individuals in that had this burning passion to see the church established where it was or edified where it is, that their job was to equip the saints for the work of ministry. Not that the professional Christians would do the work of ministry. But as equal believers, 
Their primary job is to make sure that believers know how to do the work of ministry, that they are equipped for it. And the word that is used here for equip is a really fascinating word and it plays into what Paul is talking about later. Uh, it's the, the, the word equipped is the, is, the, is the Greek word that you use to describe setting a, setting a, a joint. When a joint comes out of, out of place, out of, when it's popped out, it can't function the way that it's supposed to. It can't, do, it can't move the way that it was supposed to. And so to equip the joint was to literally set the joint. It's the same word that uh, is described when it says that uh, Jesus, when He came to His early disciples and He found them on the beach, mending their nets. The word mending was this same word, equipping their nets, setting their nets, fixing it, making it be able to do what it was supposed to do. Equipped. In our in English, obviously we would use the word equipped to describe providing something for you to be able to use that, right? Kind of giving you, we use terms like uh, giving people tools for their tool bag to be able to do the work of ministry. But ultimately it's just saying that our role is to walk alongside. It's ultimately a picture of discipleship. We never, we never uh, change our methodology. The, the way that we bring people to faith in Jesus is the way that we grow them up in Jesus. It's discipleship along the way. It's helping people figure out their own walk with the Lord. It's, it's kind of the same picture of parenting, right? Proper parenting is you walk alongside your child and you help them understand who they are and what they're gifted in and try to be able to lead and guide and direct and uh, you know nurture them along in that. In fact, the the um, the passage of scripture that is so often used to describe parenting it says, "Train up a child in the way they should go, and when they are old, they will not depart from it." Uh, when it says, "Train up a child in the way they should go," it literally is according to their bend. It was this picture of like a, a tree. If you take a tree, a tree grows a certain way. And if you take that tree and try to use it for some purpose, it only bends a certain way. And so you need to know the way that the grain of that wood and how that plays out. And according to that, then you help it, nurture it, be what it's supposed to be. Ultimately, the picture of... Uh, Church life is the picture of a family growing up together. And so we ought to live in such a way where we are uh, acknowledging the fact that God has uh, people in our lives who their job is not to just be professional Christians. My job is not to be the professional Christian that does all the ministry. Martin's job is not to be the professional Christian that does all the, the ministry. Ross's job is not to be the professional Christian that does all the ministry. Our job is to make sure that we are seeing the, the avenues, the places in which God has us and our relationships with each other and helping us grow up together. To have people in uh, in our lives together that hopefully, regardless if, if I'm older than you, if I'm younger than you, that you could look to me as your pastor and say, okay, if I'm struggling in an area of my Christian life, Chris, can you help me in that? Is there something that, that you can uh, walk me through that as we see that together? That they are equipped for the work of service. Why? To build up the body of Christ. It really is a profound thing when the New Testament writers describe the church as the body of Christ. I mean, just think about that. Jesus is the, the kind of the second member of the Trinity. He's the one that Scripture says all things were made by Him and for Him. Everything that is in existence was made for the glory of Jesus. And how does that physically manifests itself on the earth, God says it's manifested by this group of knuckleheads that came to faith in Jesus. Us. It's incredible. It's absolutely incredible. So we are to be equipped. We're to be set right. This does play into that nature of uh, discipline as we are to walk with each other, that sometimes to set a joint is not a painful or is not a pleasant experience, right? There are some times where we need to be moved from complacency or from disbelief or from sin into a right place. And we need other brothers and sisters in Christ to help us do that. How do I fit into this church? One, I need to know where am I on this continuum of where God lays me out and the Holy Spirit needs to reveal that to you. 
You need to know that you have a, a function. You need to be equipped. And third, that you need to be... Uh, where do you fit in? You need, to be, you need to fit into a place in which you are growing. Where you are growing. Verse 13 and 14 says, Until we all attain to the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God, to a mature man, to the measure of the stature which belongs to the fullness of Christ. And as a result, we are no longer to be children tossed here and there by waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by the trickery of men and the craftiness of deceitful scheming. We are to be growing. And specifically, what does he say we are to be growing in? We are to be growing in unity is the first one. We are to be growing in unity. Unity of what? The faith. Not just unity general, but unity in our mutual faith in Jesus Christ. Sometimes I think we live in a world in which uh, the idea of unity uh, is just the idea that just I, we just want peace at all costs, right? Like just I, you know, I don't care if we disagree about everything like that. Let's just let's just agree to disagree, and then we'll call it unity. And that's that's not really unity, right? All married couples know that's not that's not unity. That's not the way that that that's not the way that that works. That unity has to be around something that is immovable between the two of you. We are united around this one thing, right? And for us as Christians, we could be united around all kinds of stuff, right? We could be united around prayer. We could be united around the truth of the Bible. We could be united around political affiliation. We could be united around uh, ecumenicalism. We could be united for all kinds of things. But if we are not united around a common faith, defined the same and in the same person by the same means, grace alone, faith alone, Christ alone, then we never actually have unity. And we ought to be growing every day in that. And every time we see something that is challenging that, that is threatening unity, we ought to be concerned about it. And we ought to want to deal deal with it. But not only are we growing in unity, we also have to be growing in knowledge, in the knowledge of the Son of God. So as we grow in unity of faith, where we are with Jesus, and our knowledge and understanding of Him, to those things together, it produces in us, as he says here, a... uh, Uh, to a mature man, to the measure of the stature which belongs to the fullness of Christ. Ultimately, our goal is to come to a place of maturity where we are worthy of being joined to the head, which is Christ. Now that's that's a hard statement because if we're just honest, we know I'm not worthy. That's that's what that's why we need grace. I know that I'm not worthy of the the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. I know that I'm not worthy of His love. I know that I'm not that kind of thing. But the reality is, again, it's not that we be worthy so that then He gives it to us. It's that He gives it to us, and because He gives it to us, we want to rise up and meet the, the, the equivalent of what it is that He's given to us. The Gospel is not something that is earned. It's something that is responded to. Worship is never something that we do as a means to get God's favor for us. Worship is always intended to be a means by which we respond to who God is. Right? It's like when the northern lights come out on a, on a dark, cold night where there's no clouds in the sky and it's just in all of its awe and wonder. And as we go out and we stand out and we say, wow, look at this. And we start texting people and taking pictures and posting on social media. And we're just, this is incredible. And I just want people to see this, right? Has anything that I've done in that moment made those actually any better? No, of course not. They've given to me their beauty, their splendor, their awe, their wonder. And what have I done? I've just responded to it. That's worship. That's our, that's our mature response to the things of God. That's what it means for us to, uh, to attain to the measure of the stature which belongs to the fullness of Christ. 
Every one of us ought to desire to grow in our Christian life to where we model Jesus as close as we possibly can. And beyond that, we want to see it that we grow in our modeling of Jesus as a church together. We want to be growing up in this. We want to be changing. We want to be maturing. So how do we know if we're not doing what we need to in this? Well, verse 14 tells us. He says, as a result of this, we are no longer to be children. Tossed here and there by waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by the trickery of men, by craftiness and deceitful scheming. This is one of those things that's a, uh, a biblical point uh, that I think is one of those things that's a nuanced but it's important for us to know and pay attention to that there is a difference between being childlike and being childish. The difference between being childlike and childish. Jesus implores us to have childlike faith. Right? Children just believe. They want to believe. They're, they're simple in their belief. They don't give me all the facts, give me all the information, give me, they just want to respond and say, yes, okay, that's and I'm trusting you to do this, right? And so we are called to have that, but when it comes to maturity, we are also called not to be childish, not to be tossed here and there by waves of all kind of doctrine. Every time a new book comes out and says, ah, you know, some writer says, I've found something that all the Christians the last 2,000 years have missed. I can just go, I, I pretty much tell you, no, they haven't missed it. That's just called heresy. That's just what that's literally what that that's what that is, right? And yet, so many are just tossed about here and there. Since so many of us are not from here, we have this wide swath of Christianity and all of us know these individuals just tossed about by this. They get caught up in this movement, caught up in this book, and caught up in this preacher, and caught up in this thing, and it's just bouncing all over the place and you're going, Jesus isn't in any of it. It's not, it's not good, it's not right, it's not edifying, it's not leading people to eternal faith in Jesus. It's just being caught up in all kinds of different stuff. And so ultimately, if we're doing what God is telling us, being uh, united in the faith and growing in the knowledge of the Son of God, we will grow to maturity so we're not like children being tossed back and forth. We won't get carried away by every wind of doctrine. We won't get caught by the trickery of men. The word that is used there describes somebody that's playing a game of dice, but they throw the dice in such a way where their numbers are going to come up. And it looks like it it makes perfect sense, but we go like, "Uh, I know that scheme. I've heard that before. I've seen that, that trick, and the Bible's taught me those kind of things, and I'm, I'm not going to fall for it anymore, right? And by craftiness of deceitful scheming, we just have an ear to hear the lies. So ultimately, what is the goal of membership? What is the goal of asking the question, where do I fit in? What is, what is it that we ultimately want to see happen? Well, verses 15 and 16 says this. It says, Speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in all aspects into Him who is the head, even Christ. Speaking the truth in love. One of the things that um, you'll hear me either preach on or teach on in Bible study very often is that the Bible is full of tension. There's all kind of tension in Scripture, right? God's love, God's justice. And they, they create a tension that if we lose that tension we, and we fling off into one of those two directions, we're all about God's love and we lose God's justice. We don't actually think God really cares about sin the way that He really cares about sin. Because God is love and He's love, 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 love. Or you swing it the other way and you go like, you know, God is justice and His wrath and He hates sin and they're all going to hell. La, 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 la. And we, we forget empathy and we forget grace and we forget love, right? The Bible gives us tension and we are to embrace that. The Trinity is tension. Three, one. You lose that tension, you fling off into heresy. Here's another one that I think is a, a profound tension of Scripture that we are losing in our national discord as Western Christians. Speaking the truth in love. The truth 
in love. We can speak truth into a world without a drop of love. This particular pet sin, evil, wicked, you're going to hell for it. That's truth. Full of truth, right? But it's not actually going to lead to any kind of transformation. We can also swing the pendulum to the other side, which is what a lot of people are doing. They're saying, "No, no, no. We don't want to. We don't want to offend anybody. We don't want to. We don't want to ruffle any feathers. We're, you know, we're not going to just. You know, we don't. We don't want to be dogmatic about this stuff. We just want to love people. So love, 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 and never confront anybody. And the truth is, that's actually not loving. It's not loving. So Jesus admonishes us." as the church together, as we are growing and walking and finding our place in this and, and realizing there's things about us that need to change. There's beliefs that we have that need to be corrected as we are growing in the knowledge of the Son of God. That there are elements of our faith uh, that are misplaced and so we can't be united with people because we're putting our faith in something that is not faith in the Son of God. And so we need to be changed in that. And as we're walking together in this process, we are doing so by speaking truth in love with each other. And ultimately, as we are doing that, we are to grow up in all aspects, in every aspect, in every area of your life. A lot of people think church just has to do with your spiritual life. Maybe how you pray or how you tithe or maybe if you read your Bible or what you do on Sunday morning. But that has nothing to do with what it means to actually be a follower of Jesus. He's saying in all aspects, in, in your marriage, in your singleness, in your finances, in your work, in your parenting, in your friendships, in your high hobbies, uh, in your investments, in, uh, in your health, in uh, your, uh, your uh, purchases, all of those things in all aspects. We are to grow up in all aspects into Him who is the head, even Christ. Why? From whom the whole body, all of us, being fitted and held together by what every joint supplies. Do you see it? Uh, those joints being set right and put into the where they need to be, according to the proper work of each individual part, causes the growth of the body for the building up of itself in love. I don't think anybody will ever uh, accuse me of being a high program pastor. Uh, in fact, I have to oftentimes get like Pry-barred into those kind of things. And I think some of it is because I realized early on that those programs set a precedent for me in my early Christian life that weren't necessarily helpful. And so I'm just kind of like, can't we just do the thing that the program is supposed to do just because we love Jesus and we want to respond? But realizing also that we need some organization in that. And the reality of that is one of my giftings is not administration. It is not if I, if I do the spiritual gifts inventory that I gave to all the members last week, administration is not up there. It's not the highest one. Another one that's not high up on there is actually mercy. It's not a high gifting in me. And so the reality of those things is I know that that's... That the, I'm the pastor of a church. It needs some organization. So I, I need some people who are like, no, I want to make sure this happens and I want to see all aspects and we're going to do that, right? And I need some people who are merciful to be able to step into those kind of ministry needs of mercy and be able to uh, uh, equip this body in a way that I'm, I'm not equipped to do. Why? So that we can be the proper working of each individual part because our, our full desire is to see the growth of this body for the building up of itself in love. That is our desire. That's our heart cry and our heart challenge. To be patient with each other as we walk through this. That you being a follower of Jesus is awesome. It's amazing. It's, you, know, it's you, come to, you coming to faith is a personal decision. But that's where it stops being individual. And everything else around it becomes corporate. It's about you doing life with y'all. It's why it says uh, that we, we are to grow up in all aspects into Him who is the head. Not everybody's a hand. Not everybody's an arm. Not everybody's a foot. Not everybody's an evangelist. Not everybody's a preacher. 
Not everybody's a nursery worker. Not everybody's gifted in hospitality. Not everybody's uh, gifted in administration. And so we need the body working together and, and asking the question, okay, God, what, what do you have for me? And I can say this with 100% certainty. God's will for your life in Galena Bible Church is not that you would enact gravity on a seat. That's not, that's not God's plan and will for your life. Uh, pagans can come in and do that. That's, you know, that's just how gravity works, right? Like they sit, chair sits. That's how, that's how it works. God's design for your life uh, is actually outlined. He says His desire is that as you go, you would make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey all things that He's commanded you. It's not the question of what is God's will for my life, it's how do I fit into God's will. The question is where, to whom, and doing what. That's, that's actually the, the questions. My prayer for us is that we would never be a, a religious organization that has a, a membership role and does religious things. I don't want us to be that. I want us to be a whole body that is fitted and held together by what every individual member, uh, according to its proper working, does that is causing the growth of the body for the building up of itself in love. Not just love for Jesus because of what He's done for us, but love for one another. Because ultimately, Jesus says, this is how they, those outside of this, This is how they will know that you are my disciples. By how much you know Scripture. By how well organized you are. By by, uh, how eloquent of speech you are. No. This is how they'll know you're my disciples. By your love for one another. We don't get to do that by ourselves. And we do that very imperfectly. And that's why we are so grateful for the grace of Jesus that helps us be the body that He intends for us to be. Let's pray. God, thank You again so much for um, this reality. And I pray, God, that You would help us as we ask ourselves these questions. Where, Where do I fit in this kingdom? Where do I fit in this body? The giftings that You've given me, the passions that You've given me, the directives that You've given me. As we think about those things, God, I pray that You would help us realizing that maybe even for this season You have a particular role and a responsibility, a, a, a calling, a, a passion. And realizing that, God, we, we may grow in different areas and we may change. And so, God, I pray that You would help us to see those things and help me and Martin and Ross um, as we try to lead uh, our our brothers and sisters in Christ here to be the the kind of church that you desire for us to be. God, give us supernatural eyes to see those ministry gaps, those holes, uh, those those things that you desire for us to do as a church that we're just not doing right now because either we haven't seen it or we haven't had the right people in place to do it. God, we just come very needy. Realizing, God, that you're the head and we, Jesus, we, we want to listen to you and have you guide and direct us in everything that we do. So thank you, God, for the reality of the cross that does unite us here today, that does give us the freedom to be one body in Jesus. We love you so much. It's your name that we pray. Amen. Thank you for joining us. We hope you've been blessed by the hearing of God's Word. Feel free to connect with us at www.galenabiblechurchak.com and subscribe to this podcast at iTunes or at galenamissions.podbean.com.